Amen. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. And as you're opening up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, what we're going to be looking at is, to, is a study of, of really the teachings of Christ, the teachings that He was giving to His disciples. And it was just revealing the love, the love of God that He has towards His children. And I want to share this with you. The title of today's message is God's love for His children. And what the Lord wants to do is He wants to reveal three things to us today. He wants to reveal the truth of greatness. He wants to reveal His judgment on those who cause His children to sin. And He wants to reveal to us how He goes after those who have strayed. And as we think about this, you know what, it's, it's, it's really a reflection of a father that has great love for his children. What we're going to see this morning is how the Lord likens us to children. He's going to speak to us as his children. And as we know that there is parents, fathers who, as they speak to their children, they speak to them truth, they will always exercise perfect justice with their kids. And, and one thing that we know is that they're always pursuing their children. And so today's study is going to be broken down into three sections. And it is going to be broken down in the truth of greatness. Secondly, the perfect justice. And thirdly, the pursuit that He will have over us. And so with that, let's go ahead and read the first 14 verses and then we'll break them up and we'll talk about these points that I just mentioned. There in chapter 18 beginning in verse 1 it says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest? Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted, and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it up or pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven there are their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is strained? And if he should find it, surely I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. You know, as we close here, we, we just hear these teachings of Christ, right? The, the converse, conversations that He had with the disciples. And these conversations were stimulated by the question that the disciples had towards Jesus. And from there, He begins to talk about his children, and he references really who we are in the Lord. And so as we look at these conversations, we know that 
that these conversations have so much truth and so much that He wants to reveal to us. And so let's look at these and let's talk about these and see really what the Lord has for us. Verse 1, as we read, I'm going to repeat it again, and, and it says this, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know, there's something that has gone on with the disciples here because we have the disciples that are conversing with Jesus. They're, they're asking Jesus, really, who then is the greatest? Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know, these are aspirations that these men have, right? And I really want to give you just deeper insight as to what exactly was taking place here. Because when we look at Mark chapter 9, verse 34, it states there that the disciples were arguing amongst themselves who would be the greatest. So you could imagine this, right? These disciples that belong to Jesus and they're following Jesus to Capernaum there. And Peter and John, they're probably arguing with themselves saying, you know what, I'm going to be greater than you. Or the other one is saying, I'm going to be greater than you. Andrew could be telling his own brother, you know what, I'm going to be greater than you, Peter. Or it could be one of the other disciples, right? In other words, they were arguing amongst themselves who was going to be greater. Think about this, right? I mean, as we look at this, I mean, how ridiculous is this? Or is it really ridiculous? You know, is this really something that that is far out? Or is this really... Something that happens to believers. You know, as we see this here, I really believe that many of us experience such a thing. We would say to ourselves, you know what, this sounds silly, but in reality it's not very silly. Let me give you a personal testimony of mine, and maybe some of you are going to relate to it, maybe some of you won't, but I remember when I first came to the Lord, I was so happy to be forgiven. I was so happy to be saved from destruction. And all I ever wanted to do was to serve the Lord. And, and all I was just so excited about my new transformation and everything that was going on within me. But then all of a sudden, something began to creep into my heart. Something slowly began to come into my heart and... It was this thing called pride. Okay? And maybe some of you have experienced this. I know that we all have the joy of the Lord's salvation, but it begins to creep in. You know, all of a sudden at the church where I was serving, I, I wanted more. I, I wanted to move up. I wanted to gain greater authority there within the church. I wanted to gain position. See, what I'm describing to you is exactly what the disciples were going through. You know, when we look at their heart, their heart had changed, right? They weren't just joyous about their salvation. Now they wanted position in the kingdom of heaven. See, this thing called pride, it's, it's an issue in many churches. And not only is it an issue in many churches... But the issues that arise in the churches stem from pride. And not only in the church, but also in our personal lives. Because we know that the root of sin is what? It is pride. And so for us as believers, we've got to be very careful that our flesh is not leading us. See, as we look at the apostles here, Jesus had to make sure that he taught them correctly. He had to make sure that he corrected their thoughts and their hearts. And so this is why he begins to teach them on, on greatness. You know, when it comes to the disciples, I am going to cut them slack because one thing we know at this time, they didn't have the Spirit of God living and dwelling within them. We know that he came to dwell within them at a later time. But they had the example of Jesus. They had the teachings of Jesus and and yet they were looking for position. They were looking for greatness in the kingdom of God. 
you know, in verse 2, it goes on to say then, Jesus called the little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this, in my name, receives me. You know, I mentioned to you that I was going to break down this study into three sections. And the first section that we're going to talk about is the truth of greatness. Remember, we're talking about a, the Lord as, as a shepherd to these disciples you know, the Lord wants to reveal truth to them. And so, Jesus responds as they ask Him the question on greatness. Jesus responds, or He calls the little child and He sets him in the midst of them. And, and He begins to tell them that unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And then He begins to explain to them how to achieve greatness. So he first gives an example, and then secondly, he tells them how to do it. And the example that we have here is from verse 2, where it says, a little child. A little child. He calls a little child, and he sets them in the midst. And he tells them, basically, or he uses the child as an illustration. And then in verse 3, he begins to tell them, what they must do, first of all, to enter the kingdom, and then this has to be step one. To be great in the kingdom, you first have to enter into the kingdom. And so in verse 3, he tells them how to enter into the kingdom. And that's where he tells them that they must be converted, and, and then he says and they must become as little children. What does this mean? Because you know, according to the Word of God, you know, to enter into the kingdom of God, you've got to come to Jesus by faith and you need to confess your sins, as it says in Romans 10. But we see here, he says something different. He says, unless you are converted. What does converted mean? You know, when we look at this word, in the Greek it is a word, strepho. It is a word, strepho, which means to turn around. It means to reverse. And so when we look at this word converted, basically what Jesus is saying, you must turn around. This is where we get our word to repent, right? What does it mean to repent? It means to acknowledge your sinner and to turn away from your sins. And so what we have here is Jesus is saying the same message that if they want to enter into the kingdom of God, that they need to repent. They need to turn from their sins. And then he says, and you must become a little, ch a little child, become as little children. What does he mean by that? Does he mean that he wants us to, to tr be transformed into a child? Does he want us to have this metamorphosis to become a child? He's not saying to be a little child. What he wants to show us is that we are to become like little children. And what he's saying here is that as we look at this, right, he says you are to become as little children. When he said in verse Two, he said he called a little child. And what did the little child do? He came to Jesus. See, he's reminding us that as he calls us, that we are to come to him by faith, just like the child did, right? The child came to Jesus by faith. He responded to Jesus. He came forward. And that's what he's reminding us. He's reminding us that you and I are to come to him by faith. So there is no change in teaching, there is no change in doctrine. It's still repenting of sins and it's still coming to Jesus by faith. But now he's going to answer the question that was proposed in verse 1. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And this is what he tells them. He tells them this in verse 4. He says there, Therefore whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So the answer to their question is this. It's humility. If you want to be great, then you must exercise humility. You must humble yourself. See, the answer to greatness comes in humility. And I know this is so 
far from what we hear. Because one thing we know is that the world promotes self. It, it promotes how important a person is. And as the world promotes this, and even our flesh fights against this, but yet we have Jesus Christ himself stating something that is so contrary and saying that greatness comes through humility. What is humility? Let's talk about this. What is humility? Humility is a modest view of oneself. That's what humility is. It's a modest view of oneself. How can we take a modest view of ourselves? Jesus says, become like a little child. Become like a little child. See, He's not asking you to transform yourself into a child, but to begin to take on the attributes of a child. Let's talk about this, right? What, what do children do? And I'm talking about little children. I'm not talking about now, you know what, seven, eight, ten preteens. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about little children. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's referring to little children. When we think about little children, right, do little children think highly of themselves? Not really. They don't think too highly of themselves. Do little children care about their reputation? Absolutely not. They don't care if they're all messy. They don't care if they're all dirty, right? They don't care about any of that. They just, you know what? They don't really care about their reputation. They don't care if they're called crybabies, right? They'll cry when they want something. Most little children will do as you ask them to do, right? We also know that little children are trustworthy of people, aren't they? They trust people. If you tell them something, your kids will believe it, right? You could tell them, you know what, that, you know what, that the color is blue when it's green, and they'll say, okay, that's blue. See, this is what Jesus wants to show us, that, you know what, as little children, you, this is the way you become great, as you take on this humility. We know one thing about children, though, is that as they begin to grow up, things change, right? They, they don't care. They begin to care about their reputation. They begin to basically not always obey you. They don't always listen. But that's not the age level that Jesus is referring to here. One thing that, we, that I want to share with you regarding humility and pride is that See, as we begin to grow, as the world begins to promote this, as our flesh begins to gravitate this, because remember, we're all sinners, we're all born with sin, that humility is something that isn't within us. It's something that needs to be taught. And you may be wondering to yourself, what do I mean by this? See, humility goes against who we are. And this is the reason why we are to be taught humility. This is the reason why we are to learn humility. I want to share with you what it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility. You've got to put it on. It's not something that's there. It's something that you put on. It's like the clothes that you put on in the morning, right? You put on clothes because you need clothes to put on because now you, 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 you want to keep yourself warm. You've got to cover your, you know, your body and so forth, so you put it on. The same thing is with humility. It's not something that's on you. You have to put it on. Some of you may say, well, you know what, but there's humble people out there, right? And, and what about these humble people that are naturally humble? Well, they may be naturally humble, but not every humble person surrenders himself to Jesus Christ. So even though they're practicing humility on the inside, they're still not humble because their pride keeps them from coming to Jesus. So it's important that we understand humility. Humility is something that we've got to put on. Humility is something that we're not born with. It's something that we've got to constantly be working on. In the Bible, look at what Look at the perfect example of humility. I'm going to read to you from Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, it says this, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, 
But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. What Paul is teaching there, as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, by God himself to write this for us, to teach us on humility, he says, have a lowliness of mind. In other words, be humble. Esteem others better than yourself. Be humble. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Be humble. See, the Bible is sharing with us that, that we are to walk in this manner because it's not something that, that we na- would naturally walk in. It has to teach us these things. And not only does it teach you these things, but what's so amazing about all of this is that now the Lord will give you an example of it. And he goes on in verse 5. Paul gives us the ultimate example of humility. And it says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, because it's not in your mind. It has to, be, it has to become, uh, or it has to go into your mind. It says, Who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Let's think about that. Imagine this, God Almighty humbling himself, putting on flesh, and coming here into this world in the form of a man. This is what Jesus, this is what Paul is revealing to us. This is what God, the Holy Spirit, is revealing to us now. Is that Jesus put on the appearance as a man and he humbled himself. He humbled himself. This is what he is. This is who he is, right? We serve a God that is extremely humble. To be able to do this, to come onto this earth, to put on flesh, to leave the worship that he had there, and not only to put on flesh and to walk with us, but you know what else he did? It says there that he was obedient to the point of death. He humbled himself, even to the death of the cross. Imagine this, the humility of Jesus. Remember when he came and he suffered. Remember he was spit on, he was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was socked. And he didn't do anything. I mean, to think of God Himself going to the cross and taking all of this abuse, I mean, it's mind-blowing. I want you to know how humiliating it was because I think many of us, when we see Jesus on the cross, we've seen pictures of it and, and you know, as we... Imagine that there would be a towel around the waist of Jesus. As we picture him on the cross, you always get these pictures of Jesus with a towel around his waist. I want you to know one thing. Is that crucifixions at this time, did you know how they were crucified? They were completely naked. Jesus was completely naked on the cross. Imagine that. How humiliating that would be. To take upon the abuse as he was spit upon, as he was ridiculed, as he was mocked, as they put the thorns on his head as a crown, as they nailed him to the cross. Humility. And the Lord is telling us to put on this same humility. See, He teaches us how to be humble. This is what's so amazing because God is not going to ask you to do something that He wouldn't do. And then, as we keep reading, what is the result with humility? Look at the result of Christ's humility. There in verse 9 of Philippians 2, it says, Therefore God has also highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and 
of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of the humility of Jesus Christ, He was given the highest honor. Imagine that. We have the exaltation of Jesus Christ. We have the elevation of Jesus Christ. We have the highest honor that Jesus Christ could ever have. He says that because of His humility, God has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name. That every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. See, the result of Christ's humility is the same thing that Christ is teaching us. Remember what He said. If you want to be great, then you must what? Walk in what? Humility. You must be humble. See, the same rewards that Jesus Christ received are the same rewards that He would give us. Isn't this mind-blowing? But yet, we have what? Just humility that goes against the grain, right? No one's talking out there about humility. No one's telling you, you know what? You must be humble. The world never talks about this, right? They're always talking about, you know what? How good you are. They're always talking about, you know what? Don't let people do that to you. They're always promoting pride, right? We live in a world that, that promotes the self. You know, we have a world that is just, it's just coming to an obsession of self. That's why you have Facebook and Instagram and, Instagram and Twitter, the popularity that it's gaining. Why? Because they're promoting self. They want you to take pictures of yourself and post them on there to elevate yourself, the beauty of yourself. See, this falls in line with the world and what it teaches. Exalting an individual. See, humility, understand this. It's contrary to our flesh. It's contrary to our hearts. Because our hearts and our flesh want exaltation. We thrive on, on, this, proud, on this pride. We know that the world doesn't promote it. It goes against the grain. And we know one thing, that the devil is also fighting humility. The devil doesn't want you walking in humility. He doesn't want you to receive the rewards of humility. So he tempts you and says, you know what? Don't let them do that to you. Don't let them do that. You know what, if somebody hits you or somebody does something to you, you make sure you get back at them. Let me share with you something that happened yesterday. You know, we were at a, a Christmas function and we, we had these gifts and, and these gifts, we were passing them around, right? And, and all of a sudden, one of the gifts just pops me here in my eye and it Gash my eye, and all of a sudden blood started coming down. And the first reaction within me was one of anger. I, I got hit. Right? And even though I can't do anything because it was my wife, but... <laughs> but it didn't take away what I initially felt. Reminding me of the pride that is within me. See, this isn't all of us. Nobody wants to get hit, right? Initially, the first reaction of getting hit, you get angry. But this is a pride that's within us. And this is what Jesus says, you know what? You can't have that. I resist the proud. I give grace to the humble. I want some thoughts to ponder. I want to give you some thoughts to ponder when it comes to the heart of humility. Okay, just think about these things. I, I want to share them with you only as you meditate and think about these things. Just begin to apply them to your life and to see, you know what, how you relate to these. The heart of humility does not have a low self-image. Remember that. The heart of humility does not have a low self-image but a healthy self-image in Christ. 
Okay? Doesn't have a low self-image, but a healthy self-image in Christ. The heart of humility knows you are not better than anyone else, but just as equal as everyone else. The heart of humility understands that you are not better than anyone else, but as equal as everyone else. The heart of humility understands your relation to God, the fact that you're a sinner, but it also knows who you are in Christ, a redeemed sinner, a righteous sinner. The heart of humility is willing to do what is right even when everyone else doesn't think it is right. The heart of humility doesn't talk about humility but walks in humility. Think about that one. Doesn't talk about humility. Doesn't say... You know what, when somebody tells you, oh, you know what, I'm a pretty humble person. They're not humble. They're taking pride in something that they think they are. The heart of humility obeys and walks in truth and it rejects lies. The heart of humility knows it makes mistakes and admits when it makes mistakes. Remember that. It knows that it makes mistakes and admits when it makes mistakes. Meditate on this one. The heart of humility doesn't worry so much about reputation, but it worries more about its integrity. The heart of humility doesn't celebrate success, but celebrates the success of others. Major accomplishments. Doesn't look at those, but it celebrates the success of others. And the final one to meditate on is this. The heart of humility, it listens more and it talks less. It listens more and it talks less. See, as we think about these things, these are the things that the Lord wants to reveal to us. How important it is to put on humility, to become a, a part of who you are. You've got to put it on. It's not something that we're born with but it's something that you put on it's something that is taught and then you begin to walk in it and you put it on and by the spirit of god you can easily walk in this but if you're not yielded to the spirit of god who are we yielded to to our flesh to pride the works of the flesh look at what c.s lewis said on humility humility is not thinking less of yourself it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. As we go on, let's go to the second section that we want to talk about. Perfect justice. Let's go ahead and read verse 6. It says here, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man whom, to, by whom the offense comes. What's so amazing about this is, see, we have a Heavenly Father. Remember, He looks at us as little children. We have the perfect Father who exercises perfect justice. And let me share this with you. For all you mothers and fathers, for all of you who have children out there, I think we're all constantly looking out for our children, aren't we? You know, as parents, we're always making sure that 
our children don't get hurt. We want to make sure that that they're well. You know, as parents, I, I believe, you know, we have a perfect illustration when it comes to to a bear and her cubs. Always making sure they're protected. Always making sure that they don't get hurt. Look at what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is reminding us that if anyone causes his children to sin, the best thing for them would be to take a great millstone to put it around their neck and to jump into the ocean. And what does he mean by this? What he says is that, you know what, it is better that they put it around their neck, go into the ocean, than to receive the judgment that he's going to give them. That's why in verse 7 he talks about, woe to the world because of their offense, woe to the man who causes the offense. He's saying that, you know what, they're going to have judgment. They're going to receive greater judgment than that one which is just, with the millstone. When we talk about this millstone, I want you to know what he's referencing here because see, there are millstones and millstones were used to grind the grain. You have some that you can use a stone with your hand and you can grind this, the grain. Then there were other millstones where, you know, in ancient times they would put a long stick in these large stones and, and there would be men that would walk around and and it would grind the grain that was there at the bottom. But then you had these other millstones that were large. They were huge. And the only way for them to move was to get an oxen or a mule. And what they would do is that they would move that millstone to grind the grain. Do you know what millstone Jesus is talking about here? He's talking about that one. The great one, the one that is moved by the mule, by the oxen. He's not talking about a small millstone. He's saying, get a large millstone, put it so that you don't come up. You are safer in doing that than the judgment that you will get from me when you cause my little ones to sin. Imagine that. The judgment they receive from God is greater than jumping in the ocean with a great millstone. The reason Jesus says that is because He loves us so much. See, the justice that He pours out on those that make His children sin, on those that make His children lose their innocence, on those that corrupt the mind of His children. Imagine all of those that are making others sin. He's saying that a great judgment awaits you. Let's consider ourselves. Are you causing believers to sin? Are you making a believer sin? He's talking to everyone here. Are you making your spouse sin? Are you making your children sin? Are you making your family sin? Are you causing other believers, God's children, to sin? And you may ask, well, give me examples. How am I making them sin? Are you making them drink with you, party with you? Are you asking them to smoke dope with you or to take drugs with you? Are you asking your spouse or others to watch pornography with you? Are you asking... Someone that's not married to you to have sex with you. As a believer. Jesus is saying, whoa. Be careful. Because if this is you, the best thing to do here is to confess. Ask for the mercy of God upon your life because He's saying, you know what? There's a great judgment that awaits you. Whoa. You've got to stop. If you're making others sin, you've got to stop. This is what Jesus is talking about here. And look at the degree that He wants to make sure the high degree of all of this. Look at what it says here in verse, six, in verse 8. 
It says, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into the hellfire. What Jesus is saying, he gives us some illustrations here. He's talking about the hand, the foot, and the eyes. If these body parts are causing you to sin, he says, take them out. It's better that you go to heaven without these parts than to allow these parts to keep you from heaven. It's better that you get to heaven without these parts than to allow these parts to keep you out of heaven. If you know that something is keeping you out of heaven, he is saying, cut it off. Is Jesus seriously about cutting your foot, cutting your hand off, or gouging your eye out? The message is strong because he wants us to understand that the illustrations need to be radical. In order that you understand that if anything is causing you to sin, then it's time to break that temptation or that tempter. Jesus is reminding us that it's better for us to go to heaven than to allow those who cause you to sin to keep you out of heaven. Break them off. That's what's best. Some of you may be saying, but you know what? I'm married to a non-believer that makes me sin all the time. Is Jesus giving you the reason to divorce him or to leave him or her? That's not what Jesus is saying here. Because in the other scriptures that he's told us that, you know, you are to stay with them as long as they desire to be married to you. That in your good behavior, in your godly behavior, that you will what? Convert them. Bring them to Christ. So you're not given the green light now to leave your husband. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Or your wife. But look at what Jesus, I'm going to give you another scripture that talks about how he deals with the offenders. Because Jesus wants to remind us too, you know what, don't worry about them, I'm going to deal with them. I love you guys so much, you are all my children, that my love is so great for you, that I will take care of them. If they're making you sin, I will take care of them. Hebrews 10 verse 30 says this, For we know... Him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. The Lord is saying, I'm going to take care of them. Don't worry about it. And again, the Lord will judge His people. But here it is. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's why He says, it's better to take that millstone, that huge millstone, tie it around your neck, go into the ocean. Remember, I think one of the things that we lack in our world today, especially as Christians, is a fear of God. The fear of God isn't there anymore. Otherwise, people wouldn't be doing what they're doing. Those that call themselves Christians. See, we've got to come back and understand this fear. Man, I don't want to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing. Do we believe it? Verse 10 goes on to say, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you, that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. I want to share this with you. As children of God, we are so loved. Jesus says that anyone that looks down on any of God's children, you know what? I want to remind them of this that I send my guardian angels to them. Have you ever thought about the amount or the depth of God's love for you that He sends angels to guard you? He says He sends angels to protect you. This is the depth of His love. Remember, we're His little children. And so, as His little children, His Word is telling us that He sends angels to protect you, to guide you, because you're so special. Every single one of us have angels that are assigned to us. This is how special you are. 
And understand this about the angels. They know everything about you. And so does our Heavenly Father. To even think that the Lord doesn't love you, it's all a lie from Satan. And then he goes on to share this. And this is the third section. And we're going to close with this. It's the pursuit over us. Let's go ahead and read verse 12. Or verse 11, it says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is strained? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. The Lord loves you so much that he pursues you. I'm going to ask a question here. How many of you have backslidden and come back to the Lord? Show of hands. You know who's the one that pursued you? It was the Lord. That's how much He loves you. God sent messengers to you. He didn't send angels because the angels, you know, they're not called to preach the gospel to you. You know who He sent to you? He sent people and He sent His Holy Spirit. It was His Holy Spirit that came to convict you as well as people to remind you to come back to Him. See, this is the amazing love that the Lord has for us. He is sharing here that He will pursue you when you stray. And when you stray, He goes after you. And the illustration that he gives us of the magnitude of his love is that he is willing to leave the 99 just to pursue the one that has strayed. I want to give you an illustration so that it can hit home. I have a sibling, or I had a sibling that was constantly in and out of trouble. This sibling of mine was constantly running away. And I remember... My parents, whenever they would find out where this sibling was, they ran out of the door, got in their car, and they went after this individual. We were left at home. They went out there to search and to find. And there were times when they wouldn't come back with the sibling, but there were other times when they would. And the joy that was in their hearts the joy that they had within them. It was just amazing. See, this is what the Lord is describing here. When you go astray, He loves you so much that He's going to pursue you. He loves you so much that He's going to go after you. He loves you so much that when He goes for you and when you do come back, there is such a joy. And you know, there's not just a joy, but did you know, it's just like with the prodigal son, there's a party that goes on in heaven because of your return. That is the love of God. There's an extravagant party going on for you. In verse 14, he goes on to say, Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. See, it's not God's will. If you are a child of God, His will is that you would not perish. See, every single one of you are so important to the Lord, so important that He sends a guardian angel, so important that He pursues you, so important that He goes after you and leaves the 99 when you stray. And why is this? Because he doesn't want any of his children to perish. This is the love of God. This is the depths of God. The depths of his love. Every single one of you are so loved. Even though you may not feel loved sometimes, even though the enemy lies to you and says, Oh, you know what? God doesn't love you. You're a sinner. You've failed God. And you know what? He has... He wants nothing to do with you. We have the scriptures to prove otherwise. This is the love that God has for His children. 
And He loves every single one of you. He loves you so much that He reveals His truth to you. He wants you to be great in the kingdom of God. He loves you so much that He is willing to pursue you. And He loves you so much that He exercises perfect judgment against those who come against you. This is God's perfect love. And this is what He wanted to share with us today. You are loved. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for sharing Your love. We thank You for reminding us, Lord, how You speak truth to Your children. How You exercise judgment against those who hurt Your children. And how You pursue Your children. I pray that as we begin to realize the depths of your love, that we would fall deeper in love with you. Lord, I pray that there would not be any pride in any of us in saying, you know what, we don't need you, Lord. Those are all nice words that were said, but I don't need you. Lord, your desire is that we would humble ourselves. Your desire is that we would come. If there's anyone here, maybe this is you today. Maybe you're astray. Maybe you're in sin, practicing sin, causing others to sin. And the Lord said, you've got to come as a child, convert, repent, come to Him as He's calling you out. And if this is you, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anybody wanting to do this now, raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anybody. Anybody want to make things right with Him? Anybody. Anybody. If the Lord is calling you, don't reject His voice. Come to Him in repentance. Come to Him by faith. Anybody want to do this before we close? Anybody? Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You, Lord, for Your amazing love. We thank You, Lord, for the words that You gave us. We thank You, Lord, for revealing this to us. And we thank You, Lord, for showing us and revealing to us Your truth. May we walk in humility. May we walk in a manner that pleases you. May we put these things on and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.